Our scripture passage is from Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern dil diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Amen. Uh, today's message is the second one in our series on reforming habits. Uh, during the past 14, 15 months um, or so that we've been in the pandemic, uh, each of us probably uh, have developed some bad habits. Uh, they may have been triggered by limitations uh, caused by the quarantine, but nonetheless uh, should be examined. Uh, in turn, we likely need to develop some new good habits or rediscover uh, older beneficial ones. Uh, from Romans 12, uh, we are looking each week at some of Paul's admonitions relating to a vibrant Christian walk. Uh, both alongside and amidst uh, other believers. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at Paul's encouragement to reform or re-form, reform habits with respect to worship. Uh, we thought about how to develop good practices relating to body, soul, uh, and spirit, uh, how these can better worship uh, our Lord. Uh, respectively, uh, I challenged us to make habits of healthy bodies uh, to offer as living sacrifices, of renewed, undistracted minds, uh, and of spirits in line with Jesus's surrendering his own will uh, to God's will. Today's uh, verses touch on habits relating to interactions and relationships with other believers uh, in the body of Christ. Hence, I titled uh, the sermon, Reforming Our Habits, Interdependence. Interdependence. I thought the word nicely captured uh, this idea that we are not independent. We are not alone. We need each other. Others need us. We form each other. We're formed by each other. We belong to each other and more. Uh, verse 5 is actually uh, a profound and definitive statement from Paul about what the church really is. Right? It says, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. He's not just making a statement about interrelationality or functionality or polity. I believe he's saying something about the fundamental nature of the body of Christ. We together form one body. And in that body, we belong, we belong uh, to each other. I think that should evoke a pretty big wow uh, from us. It's more than metaphorical, 
I mean, in a real way, uh, sometimes referred to as being a spiritual union, at other times being a mystical union, uh, we constitute the actual body of Christ. So just as the parts of our physical bodies comprise one person, the individuals in a church also spiritually constitute one, one person, namely uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, further, we are spiritually or mystically joined together with one another in Christ. We have connections to each other that surpass our efforts to relate to each other. Right? Now, even in the body, we have individual parts. They may not work together or connect directly, but they are still part of that same body. Right? There is a, a higher connection. So that means in, in the body of Christ, we are more than um, acquaintances, more than friends, more than co-laborers in the kingdom. We are fellow um, mutual members of the body of Christ. Whether we're aware of it, whether we are acknowledge it or not, <laughs> whether we like it or not. And that's what I'm saying is, is so deep. Right? Maybe <laughs> to the point of being a little disconcerting, right? That I somehow have this, you know, higher order connection with all of you beyond just my actual interactions or uh, connections with you. So indeed, if we share in what I'm, I want to call a meta-relational connection, meta-relational, uh, then I think it, 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 we need to figure out how to share in the share life in the body of Christ more closely, more effectively, more frequently. In that regard then, I believe it's very important to kind of how we look at each other, how, we look, how I look at myself, how you look at yourself in relationship to others, and then how we look at others with respect to ourselves. Right? So unless I see and understand properly, I feel like, I'm not going to you know, go towards this goal of interdependence. Uh, um, so accordingly, I chose my uh, organizational motif uh, for the rest of the sermon to uh, talk about understanding to increase uh, interdependence. How do we uh, understand, right? How, how will the right understanding increase interdependence? So please take a look at that slide. Okay, so uh, I broke up our verses. So verse 3, it's how to understand ourselves. If we don't see ourselves correctly, I don't think we'll tend to interdependence. Right? So first, how, do we, how should we view ourselves? Second, how should we understand other people, other brothers and sisters? Right? Unless we get it right, uh, we may you know, not uh, get the the sense of urgency, or we may not be moved, motivated, right, to interact properly with each other. And then how to understand God's gifts or his giftings, spiritual gifts specifically, right? How can all these things habitually strengthen our mutual interdependence? Okay, so let's jump in. The first proper understanding needed to enhance our interdependence is with respect to ourselves. Unless we see ourselves in the proper light, we really uh, won't understand 
or act in interdependent ways. That correct light um, is the harsh light of reality. Yeah, we should see ourselves as we really are, right? not the image that we want to project, not what we have thought we were, but who we really are. And what are we really? Uh, each and every one of us um, is a wretched sinner uh, in need of amazing grace, right? And if you've asked, if you've repented and asked for that forgiveness, amazingly, God has forgiven us. That's what we are, forgiven sinners. Oh, we may have a, lo a long list of achievements and credentials. We may be better uh, in, than others at many things, but we also are worse in at least some things, maybe in a lot of areas. But in the final analysis, um, before God, we all fall woefully short of His glory. Ergo, our need for amazing grace. The temptation is to overestimate ourselves, even to the point of conceit. Right? This can happen in a number of ways. We might just be blind to truth about ourselves or our means of comparison um, might be subjective or we might deliberately choose advantages uh, that elevate us over others and ignore disadvantages, which may make us not feel so, uh, so much better. However we get there, right? however we get to this kind of overestimation, uh, and the longer we loiter there, the less we will uh, sense a need for others. Right? The more self-sufficient we see ourselves, the less reaching out, the less dependence we will have upon, uh, we, we will, less dependence we will seek uh, from others. You know, the problems of self-aggrandizement are obvious. If we think we alone are great, why would we seek help from others? Right? They're beneath us. We consider ourselves independent, capable of self-care without assistance. I can handle this on my own. I can fight this temptation. I can serve God. Right? So almost by definition, we will never desire interdependence. We won't need it because we're good enough to take care of ourselves. And I think that's why Paul uses this, um, this phrase in verse 3, right? He says, uh, think of yourself uh, with sober judgment. Yeah, sober. Yeah. What does sober mean or what could it mean? I like synonyms like clear-headed, objective, right? serious, apt. We've got to use correct judgment uh, upon ourselves. Uh, you know, simply put, it'd be, you know, in other words, judge yourself as God judges you. Right? Again, which I've said already, we're broken sinners in need of mercy. We're sinners in need of forgiveness. You know, you and me both, we all share in this, what I want to call solidarity of sinnerhood. There's no worse sinner, there's no best sinner, they're not an upper echelon of sinners, there's not a lower caste of sinners. We're just sinners, right? Through and through, each and every one of us. So as, as, as similarly forgiven sinners, there's a certain camaraderie, if you will, uh, between us. There's already interdependence happening. And so the, 
the better expression of it, the attitude towards it, the need for it. If we understand who we really are, if we see ourselves as God sees us, yeah, I think we would uh, embrace interdependence because we realize how necessary it is. From the other end, though, let me say a little bit more about what I think sober judgment, how that applies. So God's sober judgment does not like beautify us, right? It's, it's clear, plain, real. Um, but at the same time, God's uh, sober judgment, right? Our judgment should not be harsher than sober judgment, right? Sometimes, um, you know, we, we kind of adopt the, um, the devil's accusatory uh, super judgment, right? We listen to lies. You know, Brother Matthew talked about that uh, for us. The Bible is clear when we truly repent, right? And that's a term of art, <laughs> true repentance, and seek forgiveness. Um, you know, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. So without that sober judgment of God's, we can actually be um, overly unforgiving towards ourselves, right? Self-accusation, maybe the kind of guilt that haunted uh, someone like Judas. Uh, improper judgment can also lead to self-pity or a martyr's complex, both of which are unhealthy. When we feel that we're good for nothing, right? we feel like we don't deserve the help of others and we won't get the help that we need. We won't seek it, let alone offering help to, to others. Consequently, uh, interdependence is, you know, far off. It's obscured. And we don't even think in, in that direction. Perhaps that's why Paul adds that phrase at the end, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. I think we really need faith to exercise sober judgment. Uh, because sober judgment rests in God's relationship with us. We have to accept what God says, good or bad about us and only actually what God says. His judgment is always sober to us, right? Otherwise, we can be too lax or too harsh uh, towards ourselves. So, you know, when we talk about sober, things like words like temperate or sound, sensible, I think also uh, come into play. All right, so in terms of habits, I'm, I'm wrapping this section up. In terms of habits, let me encourage all of us to practice sober judgment. Make that a habit, right? Don't rest on the feel good of like a too lax self-perspective. Don't like, you know, experience the, 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 the burden and, and, the, and the pain of overly uh, judging uh, ourselves. Now, when we feel our pride or arrogance or independence taking a hold of us, we remember the prevailing reality that we so desperately need the grace of God, right? Even to begin with a relationship with him, to, to really belong to the other members of the body. We needed to get started and we needed to continue to maintain any sort of pro progress. And then when we feel overjudged by our conscience or by Satan or by others, we should needfully turn back to God's deep, patient love. As put by Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Sober judgment. All right, next, um, how should we understand other members of the body of Christ? 
such that interdependence grows in us and between us, right? in my own heart and with you and with all. Um, again, I want to go back to the language that Paul uses of belongingness because it is so profound to me. It's more than just a social contract. Let's agree to you know, help each other. Let's, let's agree to be uh, mutually uh, uh, helpful or, or offer ourselves. It's more than a religious covenant. I promise to X, Y, and Z. You know, Paul analogizes it to the physiology of the body. There's this sense of, what oh, they talked about, meta-relationality, a mu sense of mutuality, which is clear and obvious with respect to the human body. That's what Paul's emphasizing, right? In the human body, there are no independent parts. Uh, without interdependence, there is no functionality, no health, uh, or even life. No body part can survive on its own. That's how deeply Paul's, uh, believe, Paul believes the interdependence principle runs in the body of Christ. And we cannot survive by our lonesome. We may look like we can, we may pretend that we can, but without the support and help and accountability of others, we risk spiritual malaise, if not spiritual death. And this is true of the biggest and functionally most impactful organ bone and organs or bones in the human body. Paul is clear that every part, regardless of size or quantity or even critical function, makes the entire body work. As such, it is important to recognize that every part of the body is necessary and must share in this sense of mutual dependence. It is not only certain individuals or a certain group. It's not just the leaders or the longtime members or the most energetic, right? But all of us, all of us, and each of us that has to buy into this interdependent body of Christ. You know, this is one of several uh, New Testament locations where Paul uh, describes the church as the body of Christ. A single unified body comprised of numerous diverse members. These members do not have the dif have different. These members have different functions, different sizes, different locations, but they all do their part in helping the body function in a unified manner. The individual members uh, and the body as a whole depend on all the other members. If it doesn't, it can malfunction. A body can malfunction when a part does not serve the others. Right? Each member must share in the life of the larger collective. Uh, metaphorically speaking, I was just thinking if the heart selfishly decides to say, not pump blood anymore, it quits because it doesn't like the left kneecap. The kneecap offended it somehow, or uh, it didn't pull its own weight. Then the whole body, yeah, the whole body can crash. Yeah. Paul teaches that a healthy body needs all parts working in tandem, doing its share to serve the brain, the head, who is Jesus Christ, and the rest of the body. If there's a disparate effort or efficiency or output, yeah, the body can go into ill health. COVID has taught, arguably forced us to be uh, self-reliant. Many of the structures, uh, many of the institutions, and even the people around us, well-meaning, have simply not been available or accessible. Right, because of the quarantine. I think I understand that. And even with enhanced virtual access, we realize that sometimes we have to fend for ourselves, right? If we don't do it, nobody else will. Um, so I think that ha is, 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 is our reality. So it's going to be a kind of a big hole 
I think, to climb out of, to reacquire or reprioritize interdependence. But I don't think we can afford not to. We have to get out of this hole. A living body needs activity and movement. Blood aspirated by oxygen must flow between, into, and out of all the parts. Being cut off from blood flow can lead to death, right? It's become pretty convenient for us to not really worry about others, right? We have enough concern on our mind. I think that's what how Steph prayed, right? But without regular in-person interaction, uh, it's hard to keep up, right? It's hard to connect virtually or by phone all the time. There's only so much communication that can transpire through these means. So relationships can unfortunately decline, even stagnate. So how do we revive our interdependence? How do we find creative ways to connect and build relationships? How might we habituate ourselves towards interdependence with our brothers and sisters? I mean, we could try to answer this many ways, and I encourage you, you know, just give it thought, give it prayer, give it trial and error even. I, I, want, I was thinking for myself that I, I'm going to think along the terms of responsibility. Like responsibility kind of, that's somehow something I kind of uh, understand. I was looking at how the habits in my own life, uh, they seem to build around areas uh, or people that I have responsibility for. So I end up building, I end up focusing, I end up you know, strengthening um, areas of responsibility uh, for those that I know depend on me. Right? So if, if, it's, if, it, if I realize it's my responsibility, I'll do something regular, I'll change my ways in order to discharge that responsibility, right? And also, um, the other way, when others have responsibility or oversight over me, um, I depend on them, right? I look to them regularly, uh, habitually, uh, to help me in my need. So if, we, if, we could ex if I could extend that idea, that sense of responsibility to others, to each other, Maybe that would help lead to greater independent, interdependence, maybe in my life, maybe in yours, maybe in the church. So I was thinking, let's, uh, let me say, let's start simple. Right? Uh, be responsible in one small way for just one other person uh, in our church family. Uh, care for them as if you are responsible for their well-being. Like how you might, if you're, you're a parent, how you would care for your child. Like what are the thoughts that go through? Right? Or, or a best friend, right? When, you're, when you have a friend in need or, or in transition, you know, what, what, what kind of, not duties per se, but what kind of actions, what kind of words, what kind of um, considerations come into your mind when you're responsible uh, for them? Or maybe you have an aging parent who just returned from Rochester and... and uh, you know, I got to spend time with my 88-year-old mother. Right? It's a host of thoughts. I'm partially responsible for her well-being. How can I come up with a habit? How can I think about regular things that I can do to, you know, make her life healthier and, and, and more secure? Yeah, so, you know, um, or, or I was thinking some of you are supervisors, some of you are team leaders at your work. 
When you look at your employee, when you look at someone who reports to you, reportee is what you call it, reporter, and whoever, whoever you know is, is coming to you, you think about like you know how do they feel, right? What are their needs? What are their, uh, where are their strengths? Where are their, you know, you you kind of figure out a way, and probably regularly you review how you can get the most out of their um, their their employment, out of their their work. So you know, here I'm just gonna bang out some thoughts. Ascertain their situation. What's on their mind? Do they have need? Do they feel disconnected? Do they have something joyful to share? Are they hurting? Is there communication flow between you? Are there unmet expectations to work through? If they're depending on me, am I being reliable? If I'm depending on them, are they being reliable? You know, it's just, it's an exercise to kind of figure out how to, yeah, focus, how to share your responsibility. Um, on a habitual basis. And then on the other hand, habituate, habituate yourself to ask for the help of others. Who's responsible for you? Right? Maybe there's nobody that says, I feel responsible for this person, for me. Right? But build it, help foster that. And for some of us who are you know, used to doing things, not needing anybody, that's hard. Right? You don't want to be in debt to other people, I get it. Yet, right, maybe someone can assist you in a task or a project. Maybe they can offer sage advice. Maybe they can relieve some of your duties in a busy week. So take the step of asking them. Put yourself out there a little bit. Uh, of course, we run the risk of imposing ourselves on each other. This can strain relationships, no doubt. So go into it with a lot of prayer, uh, with tact, maybe with a, a thicker hide than usual, even with some optimism, right? Uh, tell them Pastor Daniel suggested this. <laughs> Cite Romans 12, the passage. See if you can get better at interdependence in this way. Again, these were just some suggestions, right? You may already have great thoughts, great ideas. You may have best practices. But let's, you know, inject some interdependence. Let it flow, right, in you and, and in all of us. The temptation is to hunker down. We are surviving, perhaps not that well, uh, with ourselves, with those in our bubble. Uh, it is safer to have more conservative interactions. I, I, know, I know that. Um, we may feel this is sufficient, um, and it may be. But I, I feel like it seems to lack the kind of holistic and grand vision that Paul has for the entire church, right? especially for those who need a leg up, who need a hand, right, here and there. So that wraps up our, my second uh, point here, which is what habits of interdependence as to brothers and sisters can we have? All right, the final area where habits of interdependence should be considered, in my mind, concerns uh, spiritual gifts from God. I believe that God uses uh, these means of spiritual endowments, uh, that is, to enable us to put into practice habits of interdependence. These are not natural giftings per se, but specific and special spiritual empowerments provided by the Holy Spirit in order that we might concretely serve others. And here is Paul's list. Again, I just uh, listed it here. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing to others' needs, leading, showing mercy. 
See? Notice a commonality. None of these gifts are for self-advancement. Right? They don't make sense if it's just your own ability to do something. They always involve and are directed at other people, other recipients, other beneficiaries. The gifts that are given are to be used for others by design. They're not to be hoarded or flaunted, but shared, shared. The power is not for our own consumption, but for the benefit of others, for the greater good. And one of the bad habits that the pandemic has encouraged in us, for the most part, is that you know we feel this uh, kind of press, this kind of uh, shorter supply of resources across the board, right? And so we feel like since I'm limited, since my resources are limited, we gotta kind of reserve it for ourselves and for those closest to us, right? And, and understandably. Um, you know, uh, the, the threat to our regular lives is real, right? And so I understand uh, the sense that we have to protect our resources. We may not have felt the room to share with others um, with the kind of resource strain and drain that COVID has put upon us. And that still might be the case for some of us. But as we get more opportunity, right, or and possibly more promptings, from God. Let's develop the habit of looking to share our gifts. These could be our time, our money, our mental energies, our empathy. These could be our knowledge or experience or expertise. Yeah. And certainly spiritual gifts, which were designed to operate in the context of serving others, these are ripe for expenditure in the lives of our fellows. You know, looking at the gift list one more time, it becomes apparent that pretty much we need to know about each other in order to know how to exercise the gift. So that'd be my habit. He says, you know, if you're prophesying, you know, if that's your gift, you got to know what's happening in uh, each other's life. You have to consistently and intentionally seek to know what's going on, right? Serving, right? It's, it's not like I'm going to serve as I think you should be served. No. The most effective service, right, is to know what the needs are of uh, another person. How can you assist someone? How can you, you don't teach, you know, what, um, you know, your own program, your own agenda, but teach what is needed to be learned. Encourage, right? You can encourage about something that is irrelevant. And how does that help uh, someone else? So to nurture a habit of not only learning, um, not only exercising the gift, but you know, learning, uh, praying, discerning, and then, you know, applying your spiritual gift. Uh, let's not let the pandemic serve as an excuse for either letting the gifts remain dormant or pretending that we don't really have a responsibility for each other. And this would be, you know, antithetical to how Paul teaches about the church in this passage. Now, of course, um, we tend not to want to bother with other people in the first place. Uh, but then to add an extra uh, energy, extra commitment uh, to be creative or to you know, bring more resources to bear, it's a, even a greater burden. But I was thinking in this way, the gifts were free. I didn't pay for them, I didn't earn them. Right? These were in, given by God to me. So, I've not I've done nothing to get these gifts. They're they're, they're bonus. They're 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 extra uh, in my life. They're 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 um, they're surplus. So if I'm gonna 
since I have them, I think it's okay to use some energy, use some prayer, use some uh, time to figure out how best to uh, put the gifts into use, right? It says, the, the Spirit has arranged the parts of the body just as He desired. Right? And that's, I think that's what Paul says, right? In verse 6, it says, you know, use the prophesy uh, in proportion to, your, to the person's faith. Um, if you have the gift of contributing to the needs of others, do it generously. If it's leadership, diligence is the mode. If mercy is in view, the disposition should be cheerful. You know, I think what Paul is saying is, okay, you have the gift, but how you use it, that takes some habit forming. That takes some thoughtfulness. That takes some, um, some prayer, right? In other words, it's not like a button. You flick on your spiritual gift button and the expression is automatic and, and mindless. No, use your, use who you are, right? And who the other person is in order to make that uh, more effective, right? Again, I think this speaks to the heart of interdependence. We're not mechanically connected, we're organically connected, right? So how we use our gifts and when we use them depends on who is receiving the benefit of the said gifts. Let me finish with a final illustration. Uh, it came, uh, you know, Janelle actually sent me a link. Um, I had seen the uh, the article, the title, and uh, I was interested in reading it, but ran out of time, but some, somehow Janelle uh, forwarded it to me, and uh, it was fun to read. It's called The Never Aging Ants with a Terrible Secret. It came out on May 18th in The Atlantic. Uh, it's about a, a study of, the, of a colony of uh, temnothorax ants. And these were studied for three years. Uh, what happens is that certain worker ants, right? So you have the queen and everyone else is a worker. Certain worker ants were uh, infected by tapeworm parasites. Uh, but then the ones that were affected, they ended up living longer than the average uh, worker ant. And not only were they living longer, they were actually not working. <laughs> and they were, um, they looked, they actually were looking like the queen, like their 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 bodies didn't age and they got like you know treated really well, right? And I think it's because the parasite has this ability to make the ant look healthy and more attractive, and so the worker ants were not only having to help with the queen, but you know expending energy to these you know infected ants, right? They got the queen ant treatment, and even when a predator was loose. When a bird comes, apparently all the ants like save the larva. Everyone is like, all the worker ants are trying to save the larva and protect the queen. But then the uh, these infected uh, ants, they kind of just like, you know, gaze. <laughs> it's just funny. It's kind of musing, uh, gaze musingly, ennui, <laughs> in fact, towards the bird. And the suggestion was that the tapeworm, it can't survive long for, you know, it can't go to maturity in an ant. It's got to be in a bird's stomach. And so they want the host, host ant, to be eaten by the bird. And so that, that's why they keep it healthy and keep it attractive <laughs> and the like. So the quote, though, um, I, I don't know what that means for the church. I, I don't really want to <laughs> suggest anything for that. This is the point, uh, that the quote from uh, it, the uh, ant biologist, uh, Manuela Romajo. She wasn't in the study, but she was making the point. Scientists think of social insects not as single bugs, but as interlaced parts of a giant superorganism. When one individual acts, others around it react. In a colony, no ant can track, truly act alone. 
parasites of these communities automatically extend their reach to multiple animals at once, a rippling mind control effect that spreads and amplifies the consequences of infection. Right, so first of all, it says something about the ants, right? that they all work together and they all impact each other. Right? That, that seems to me to, to be a, a proper um, kind of real world example of what Paul has, has been saying. But interestingly, there's more about how the influence, right, maybe negative or positive, of, of, of a parasite has this kind of, you know, greater effect. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that talks, uh, that, that has some connection to the interdependence theme that uh, I'm, I'm speaking about. Okay, let's go to prayer, but uh, hear me as I wrap up by simply summarizing what I've said. Yeah, judge yourself, not others, uh, but be sure to use proper sober judgment. Uh, two, belong to others through the lens of responsibility. Three, find out how to use God's gifts to help others. That's why he gave us the gifts in the first place. These are just offerings of, of habits. Uh, let's pray about the ones God wants us to personally develop.